Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Newt News, brought to you by Tracy's Karate. Episode 6, we've got a special show coming to you today. We've got Jeff Jones on the pod, and we'll be firing away with all sorts of questions, both from us and from you guys. Jeff Jones is a Cardinals beat reporter for the Belleville News Democrat, and he's a member of the Baseball Writers Association of America. He's been covering the Cardinals since 2017. Jeff is currently with the team down in Jupiter, so it's a real treat to have him on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. All right. So welcome, Jeff. Um, we're really happy to have you on the pod. Um, first off, we're going to start with a couple of uh, icebreaker questions. We did this in our first episode, so our, our audience could like get, us, get to know us a little bit better. Um, we have four fun baseball-related questions to ask you. So first of all, we're going to go with who is your all-time favorite Cardinal? Ooh, that's a tough one. Uh, I, I will say this, sort of the the formative Cardinal when I was a kid and, and one of two people I've since run into at the ballpark uh, that, that I had a little bit of tongue tie when I ran into was Brian Jordan. The uh, the 1996 Cardinals, the, that, that NLCS team was the one that kind of turned me on to baseball. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and Brian Jordan and his spot on that team, he was the guy I, I was really fell in love with as a kid. That's awesome. That's kind of similar how it was for me. Uh, you know, I kind of fell in love with baseball during the 2011 to 2014 stretch. Sure. Uh, and Alan Craig was one of those middle of the lineup. Oh players. yeah. And so, yeah, he was like my formative player. That's awesome. Yeah. I was at the, uh, I was at game four of the NLCS in 1996 when two important things happened. There was a Dimitri Young triple and a Brian Jordan go ahead, a home run mm. uh, to put the Cardinals up three, one against Atlanta. And then everyone walked out of Bush for sure. They're going to the world series in 96 <laughs> and not so much. All right. So our next our next question is, who's your like favorite current Cardinal? I know you interact with a lot of the players um, on a daily basis. And is there like a particular player that you really like watching or a particular player that you really like interacting with? Um, um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of guys who are definitely super easy to deal with. You go go a long way toward making my job a little bit easier uh, mm-hmm. in terms of guys that are that are fun to watch. I guess the thing I'll say, and it, it's on my mind down here because, you know, it, early in spring training, a lot of pitchers and catchers type stuff. In terms of just sort of like the skill that is is fascinating for me to watch, I love to watch Jordan Hicks pitch. I love to like sit behind him and listen to his bullpens, uh, just because the ball makes a sound out of his hand, uh, out of his hand on the way to the plate and cutting through the air that nobody else's ball does. There's nobody else who who, who pitches who makes that sound, and it's a combination obviously of the velocity, but also just the movement and the way that the seams kind of cut through the air on on, on his ball. Uh, that that's a really a really fascinating watch, especially up close. That's awesome. All right, so moving on from that, um, outside of the Cardinals, is there anyone that you are really fascinated by? Personally, my favorite player is actually not a Cardinal. Um, I know I've caught some flack on here for that, um, but okay. we'll get into that later. Um, how about your favorite People- player, Scott, on the Cardinals? Yeah, favorite favorite player that's not on the Cardinals. Jeez, hold on. Let me, let me run through uh, mental inventory real quick. Hey, here, this is this is probably this is probably cheating, but the answer will be John Brevia. 
because for the period of time when he was a Cardinal, let me tell you, there are some days, especially again, especially in spring, there are some days where you, you need a quote, you need somebody who you know is going to be there and is going to be in a good mood about it. And that was always John Brebbia uh, and, and the other guy there would be Tyler Webb. So I'll say, I'll say those are my two guys, my, nice. my two favorite non-Cardinals. Nice. Definitely remember those guys in the bullpen uh, quite often. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Um, is there is there a team that you like that's that's not the Cardinals that you that you particularly enjoy watching? Yeah, can I say can I say the Washington Capitals? That's not really that's not a baseball team. Uh, you know, it, it, it's one of those things where when you when you when you do this for work, it is it's really hard to sort of watch baseball with the same kind of fandom, right? Like you, everything sort of just perceives differently for me. Uh, and it definitely changes your relationship to the game a little bit. So the short answer is no. I guess I don't really have a favorite team uh, to watch play. I'll 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 watch whoever is interesting, or you know, if there's a good game on. Failing that, I will watch a game that has announcers that I like to listen to. So like, I listen to a lot. I watch a lot of White Sox games because I like Jason Benetti and Steve Stone. It's a good broadcast. Uh, so just you know, if I need if I need background noise or just want a game to have on, I'll, I'll put on maybe maybe more White Sox games than my fair share. Interesting. All right, Sandy, you, you had a question about prospects, right? You wanted to talk about that. Yeah, yeah. So I just wanted to – so you're down in spring training right now in Jupiter, uh, spending a lot of time with the team, and I just wanted to ask a couple questions here. So sure. who do you think has had a particularly impressive first week? Has anybody really, like, stood out since you've been down there? Yeah, I, I think when you think about the guys who early in spring have, have caught a lot of eyes – um, I, I think that probably, well, so the, the, the one we got that Oliver Marmol named the other day, that Nolan Gorman was a guy who showed up yeah. uh, in kind of shape they were hoping for with the kind of swing changes they were definitely really hoping for. And then in terms of just sort of, you know, the pitchers who have been going at it and early going, I think the really encouraging thing uh, is that Stephen Matz threw a light bulb in the day, faced hitters and looked strong, looked like himself, looked like the ball was coming out well and, you know, looked like the guy who, they, they needed when they signed last year and also frankly looked like the guy who I think maybe they thought they had was kind of rounding into form before he had that weird uh, that, that weird injury in Cincinnati where you know his knee kind of went out from underneath him so I think I think Matt would be a guy to be encouraged about for sure in the early going that's really good to hear I think with Matt's um this rotation gets so much deeper and you know we have a, we have a great shot to contend with that so that's good to hear yeah, for sure. You know, and that's that really is going to be one of the more interesting parts of this is trying to whittle down that rotation group uh, because it's it's a pretty firm mm-hmm. five. It's really hard to imagine anybody breaking into that group of five. And actually, that yeah. was part of the uh, that was part of the conversation this morning was, you know, what do you say to guys like Dakota Hudson, like Drew Verhagen, like Jake Woodford in terms of competition? And the answer is they're here to compete, right? They're professionals. They, they understand what's expected of them and they mm-hmm. will figure it out or they won't, which, you know, which solves the problem in the other way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, sort of in the same thing, um, we all know Paul DeYoung has had his struggles in the past few seasons. Have you seen any improvements in his game and in this spring? And um, have you? Uh, which other players do you think have the most to prove uh, this spring as well? Yeah, you know, in terms of DeYoung, we were, we were actually this morning taking a little bit of inventory in terms of the guys who are here, guys we have and haven't seen on the field. Uh, and Paul DeYoung is one of the very few guys who we have not seen yet on the field, whether it's a live VP or any VP or whatever. Uh, and I mean, part of that is going to be by design, right? He's down here doing his work, but a lot of it is happening inside the cages, you know, in, inside the, the hitter shed out here. And part of that, I'm sure, is, is 
to maybe not, not keep eyes off of them, but maybe just a little bit more of a controlled setting uh, and to try to control those expectations. So in terms of what that looks like, I don't have a good answer. You know, I, I think we'll see a lot once the games start uh, and we see what he looks like at game speed, uh, as well as sort of, you know, how he looks shifting around the infield, because I think it's fair to expect he's going to get reps at least at second and third in addition to short this spring. Uh, it, you know, to be a utility infielder, he's going to have to be able to play those spots. So I, I do think there's there's something to be said for that. So Paul DeYoung is going to be like seen mainly as a bench, but I know Mo said he uh, believed in Paul DeYoung's ability to still contribute to the team. Um, for sure. Viewing him in any starting role more as like a bench bad defensive replacement type of player. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's gotten to a point now where it's been long enough uh, and the results have been what they have been that it's really hard for them to do a season expecting him to be more than that, especially considering what they've gotten out of Edmund and, and, you know, what they got out of Brendan Donovan last year, the expectations they have for Gorman. There's just really, there's not a spot for the young that fits the starting lineup right now. If things change and all of a sudden the season starts and he's 2019 Paul DeYoung and he's hitting 240 and on pace to hit 30 homers, then they'll figure out a way to get him in the lineup. You know, those are, that falls in the category, category, I guess, of problems that solve themselves. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I think at the start of the season, it's fair to expect him to be more in that, that bench role, utility, and builder kind of spot. So do you think um, they're going to stick with him on the roster or do you think maybe a trade to a different team where he could the- get perhaps? I think the fact that he made it to spring with the Cardinals is probably an indication that he makes it through the spring. Now, again, if he comes out in spring and he's hitting the cover off the ball and he looks rejuvenated, revitalized, maybe there's something to be said there. Uh, the, the the reality with DeYoung is that he's still owed uh, a guaranteed $11 million. It's nine for this season and two on the buyout for next season, which is, I mean, it's just too big a ticket for a guy who has sort of shown the struggles that he's shown in recent years, right? So if a trade is going to be a possibility, even a trade with the Cardinals eat a significant amount of the money, it, he's going to have to show more because really is Paul DeYoung right now a $5 million player. You know, if, if you're a team that has a utility infielder that you like, is the difference between that player who probably is a younger, you know, pre-R, maybe even player, the salary difference between that and whatever the Cardinals may or may not cover is still going to be substantial. And I, I think the teams, especially early in the year, they like to give their own guys shots and they're probably not inclined to take that kind of risk. Mm. That makes a lot of sense. I think um, a lot of people are looking at DeYoung and they're they're sort of saying um, that they don't see a spot for him on the, the active roster because you only can carry 26 players. It right. seems DeYoung's going to be on the roster, at least to start the season. I don't think there's a great chance he's left off. I'd be really surprised. Um, but with him on the roster, there's not a ton of room for flexibility and bringing up young names that a lot of Cardinals fans haven't heard. But even with that being said, is there anybody who Cardinals fans don't know about right now that has a great shot at making the roster? I think the guy, and, and I think maybe more and more Cardinals fans do know him at this point, uh, but the guy that comes to mind is is Moises Gomez, just because that's uh-huh. a guy who, you know, who hasn't been in the big leagues before uh, <laughs> and who, who, who did so much power-wise last season yeah. that the Cardinals are going to be willing to give him a shot. And if he hits and he really hits his way out of the roster, then they, you know, look, they're, they're going to be able to make a spot for him. Uh, there are there are some redundancies, right? You look at Juan Yepes and, and Gomez, and you see these are yeah. sort of similar players. You look at Nolan Gorman and Alec Burleson, and to, to an extent, these are similar players. Uh, and so figuring out a way for those guys to fit in is interesting. The other guy I would say here, and, and again, somebody that 
Cardinals fans probably know, but haven't known recently, maybe is Oscar Mercado. You know, Oscar Mercado is a guy who they drafted, developed, came up through the system and then got traded in 2018 as sort of part of, you know, a 40 man churn didn't have a good spot for him Mm -hmm. back in camp. Now uh, is, is in a spot where, is he the best defensive center fielder they have in camp? Maybe, arguably so, right? Uh, and they made that roster spot for Ben Deluzio at the end of last season to be that kind of player, to be a defensive center fielder, to be a pinch runner. And those are roles that Mercado can fill. Uh, today, actually, I, wa- I watched him take live BP uh, against Matt Libertor, and he had a really good, like, a nine-pitch at bat when he was fouling off, fouling off, fouling off, and then, you know, drove a line drive right back through the box uh, against Libertor. So it was, you know, it looked like a professional hitter, right? This is a guy who has experience, who's had success in the big leagues before. And I, I could easily see climbing into a spot where he makes it really hard uh, to send him to Memphis at the end of spring. Interesting. So um, I guess another name that Cardinal fans are probably more familiar with is Jordan Walker. Um, I know um, – I know he's probably doesn't have a spot in the starting lineup as is, but do you think the Cardinals will give him every opportunity uh, to make the roster this spring with the World Baseball Classic and, and players not really being um, around the team? Yeah, I do. I, I think that, you know, if you were looking to gamble on who was going to have the most at bats for the Cardinals in spring training, I think that Walker would be uh, an interesting bet, right? And you're going to see him play all over the outfield, primarily in the corners. It wouldn't totally shock me if he got some game action at center, but not very much. Uh, but you're going to see him in the quarters and you're going to see him have that have that opportunity, right? Because with with the talent level and the sort of advanced professional hitter that he is, it, it's it's strange to say that a guy who hasn't yet gotten the AAA doesn't have a lot to prove at AAA. That being said, what they've seen from him at the at the earlier levels and what they saw from him in the AFL, you know, last last winter, there's really Walker will have some developing to do. He has some defensive stuff he's going to have to figure out. He's been playing the outfield for like six months, right? Uh, but he's, he's as, a, as a hitter, he looks like a polished professional hitter. And if he is the kind of guy who can contribute and, and can be, you know, a sort of top-tier starter off the bat, they're going to give him the shot to show that he can do that. Speaking of the AFL, uh, that reminded me that I really wanted to talk about Connor Thomas, what yeah. is his role moving forward after absolutely dominating um, last fall? How do they see him impacting the team this season? Yeah, the challenge for, I think, for Connor Thomas is going to be that there are so many uh, pitchers who are in competition for those spots, right? There are there eight left-handers or so who conceivably any two of them could break camp with the team and, and be part of that big league bullpen. Uh, he's going to have to rise above, but they're going to give him every opportunity to do so. You know, they, they, they saw him put in the work in the fall, they saw him really kind of radically change the pitcher he is. You know, he talked a lot about this. Actually, I wrote about this earlier this week that he mm-hmm. was just sort of playing catch down here and, and Jason Isringhausen was around uh, and showed him the cutter grip that he used. And then all of a sudden, you know, Thomas reversing that for a lefty became really unhittable through the AFL. And, and again, talk about a guy who has shown what he can do at Memphis, who has that kind of professional level of experience. To me, Thomas is a guy who you will see make his major league debut this season. The question is going to be where that comes and in what capacity. I would expect him to come out of the bullpen for sure. But I do think there's a world where if the bullpen competition in camp starts to trend away from him, there's and then maybe not even by any fault of his own, just there's so much depth that maybe it looks like he's not going to be able to break through. I can imagine a scenario where he gets back onto a starter's plan and then becomes that sixth, seventh starter where you need an emergency start 
you can get Connor Thomas or Memphis to pop up and, and make a start like that. I could see him in that kind of role or maybe even as a bigger contributor out of the bullpen more regularly. Mm. All right. Um, so I guess we can pivot away from that a little bit. We wanted to ask you about some of like uh, your beat writing career. Um, Cause I think some of us are interested in potentially um, like interacting with players. Like I, I remember I met um, Colton Wong last fall. He was my, like one of my favorite Cardinals. Um, and I was just like kind of stunned and I wasn't really able to interact with him. And you, you kind of do that on a daily basis. So what's, what's sort of your favorite player interaction that you've had throughout your, your career? Ooh, my, my favorite, that's, that is a really good question. I, I would have to think, eesh, I have a really hard time coming up with one that, well, I'll, I, I'll, I will tell the story that this is, this is a bad favorite player interaction, but it's a, it's a story that I've always liked. Uh, I guess it kind of shows the personalities that I think of the people involved. If you remember early in the 2018 season, uh, the Cardinals signed Greg Holland at the very end of spring training to kind of come be their closer. And that was a situation where the manager had really pushed for it. And there had been some pushback in the front office, but they made it happen. But Holland stayed back. He was an extended spring training, getting himself worked up into game shape as the season started. And the Cardinals uh, broke camp with Dominic Leone as their closer. He'd been acquired to trade for Randall Kirchick that winter. And they broke camp with Leon. And in the first week of the season, I forget what, I don't remember who they were playing. But the first week of the season, Leon comes in, blows a save. They lose a game at home, you know, early in the year, whatever it was. And we're standing at the locker. You know, you know, you go into the, into the clubhouse. Largely, guys who play the same position are kind of clustered together in spots throughout the locker room, as you might expect. And there's a crowd of us, you know, around Leon's locker, and it's it's the standard stuff. You know, yeah, didn't locate my pitch, didn't didn't do this, didn't. It's it is it's what it is. And toward the end of the session, someone asked Leon if it would take some of the pressure off the bullpen once Holland was ready and worked up. And because, you know, it was going to be his job. Right. And so the question essentially was, once Greg Holland is ready, does everyone is that better for everyone? And from behind me, I hear Bud Norris, who ended up leading the team and says, hey, you're in there was really strong that season. And I hear Bud Norris say his name is Greg Holland, not Jesus. And I really enjoyed that as a little bit of a little bit of a chime in, you know, the point I think was one guy is not going to fix every problem. And also the guy blew a save. It happened. You know, these are things that happen in baseball. Uh, But, but, but I don't think Bud loved the question, nor maybe the implication that the rest of the bullpen uh, was waiting for someone to come save them and and made his feelings known. That's awesome. It was, it was, it was a pretty good time. Yeah, we have our feelings about Greg Holland here. It wasn't a wasn't a particularly great run for for him. And, you know, it was not. It wasn't. It, it's funny. You say it wasn't a great fit. It was a fine fit, I guess, if he had been able to perform, and he was not able to do so. Uh, you know, I think had a, had a little bit of a bounce back, and he came back with the Rangers, and he bought more time with the Royals, and got it got the training a little more on the tracks. But yeah, that was that was that was a rough year. Yeah, the Cardinals have had a lot of trouble signing relievers, I think, late in spring, and there's kind of been a pattern. And so that's why when there was some rumors surrounding some of these free agent relievers left on the market, I was kind of happy to see the Cardinals stay away. You know, and I, I think that that's, that's probably worth considering, right, is that there has been some like, well, they could have gotten Andrew Chafin, they could have gotten Matt Moore. You know, there are guys who are 
hard name brand type relievers who maybe were available later in the spring. But yeah, I, I agree with you that when you look at the guys the Cardinals have in house, you know, how much better today is Andrew Chafin than Zach Thompson, for instance? I don't know. He might not be any better, right? He might be worse, uh, but you don't know that. You know, there is a degree of uncertainty for sure, and that sort of is the gamble there. But yeah, when you look at what the track record has been, for all the things that this front office does right, one of them is not give money to relievers, right? You know, when when, when that happens, yeah. those tend to go those tend to go south in them pretty quick, uh, and so it's 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 really hard for me to feel like I should be sincerely critical of them for not making that sort of move given what they have and given their history in that market. Yeah. The history is really important. You touch on that because we can name several guys who were signed late in spring, not just Greg Holland, but there was the Brett Cecil deal. Sure. Um, the, the Andrew Miller deal is a little different. Um, it was much earlier in the off season, I believe. Well, and, that, and, and, and Cecil as well, right? Both of those were cases where I think the Cardinals thought this is where this is where the market is going to go. We're going to jump yeah. in and get ahead of it. And they were either wrong uh, or they set the market themselves and created yes. a sort of self-fulfilling deal around it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So you kind of touched on this a little bit in your Greg Holland story, but I was wondering if you could kind of describe what your typical day is um, during spring training and covering the Cardinals from like attending practices to interviewing players like uh what is your favorite part about that? Yeah, so I mean, on, on a regular day, they open the clubhouse up uh, at eight a.m. Here, it's open for about an hour, and then they'll go out and do their workouts in between. In between, so clubhouses be from eight to nine, and then we'll usually talk to Ali nine forty-five, ten o'clock, something like that, and then we'll head out. Uh, today was a pretty short day. You know, we headed out to the backfield at five after ten, uh, and we're headed back up inside by by like eleven fifteen or so. Typically, it's more like out working until 1 o'clock and then they'll open the clubhouse back up for another hour at the end of workout. So, uh, it's sort of, it sort of mimics the, uh, mimics, mimics the, the rhythm of the regular season in terms of kind of a before and after, uh, the really interesting part honestly happens once games start, because I think the thing that a lot of folks maybe don't know about spring training games is that when, when the big league players come in and they play the early innings and they're there and they get their work, they play their three or four innings and they come out of the game. They don't typically just like sit in the dugout and watch the game. They go home, right? They leave. They they come out. Of, they come out of the game. They go out. They do their post work and they get out of there. So by the fourth inning of any given spring training game, uh, the riders who are down here are not at the game anymore because the way that the setup is both in both in Jupiter and in Palm Beach and as well as in St. Lucie where the Mets are, the visitors clubhouse, like the area that we go to talk to the players at you can't see the playing field from, right? Like there's no way to watch the game and talk to guys at the same time. So by the fourth or fifth inning, we're leaving the press box to go down to talk to guys who are about to take off. And so a lot of times, unfortunately, we end up not seeing those late game opportunities where those younger guys get in. So that's where you have to kind of like go back and backfill and rewatch the broadcast after because live, I just like, I'm not, I'm not, I can't, physically watch the game from where the patio is when we talk to players at after games. So that definitely adds a little bit of a wrinkle uh, into, into the, uh, the, the spring training routine because it's, it's, it can be hard to watch baseball once the games start later in spring training. Yeah. Um, in regards to spring training, so surrounding the, the players and the atmosphere, um, it's the first spring training in like, a long time without Yadier Molina um, in camp. So is the is the vibe any different between the, the pitchers and the catchers? Is Contreras 
Um, like how's Contreras establishing himself as the new catcher? Yeah, yeah, I think I think it's been really good so far. You know, there was earlier today uh, the Cardinals have two have two catchers. Oh, well, they have actually more than two. But there are two catchers today who have who have Venezuelan backgrounds who are at the, the lower levels of the minor leagues. Uh, a guy named Pedro Paje and a guy named Nick Raposo, who were both in the clubhouse today, sort of sitting in a circle with Wilson, and they were all kind of like putting on the conditioner onto your glove and, and, and you know working the gloves together and just like talking about that stuff, right? And and clearly like drawn to him and, and, and sort of the leadership he has and the presence he has there. And that's been, you know, Moises Gomez too and Juan Yepes and a lot of guys in that clubhouse have spent a lot of time around Wilson with Wilson kind of being a part of it. And he, to his point, to his credit, has made it a really big point to be involved, to be in the clubhouse, to be available, to, to go, you know, station to station and meet all these guys. And there have been a lot of really fun stories about him as soon as contracts were signed, getting in touch like, Hey, I want the video on these guys. Hey, I need to know all this. Hey, and, and really trying to build up his knowledge base, more particularly of Cardinals pitchers, but also, frankly, I think trying to make the kind of impression that he wants to make because they're definitely worth. You know, there there was a story uh, that Ken Rosenthal wrote for the Athletic yesterday about the folks who are with the Cubs who are willing to, you know, without putting their names on it, uh, but who are willing to sort of stick him on his way out the door about his preparation and his game calling and all this stuff that I think he takes a lot of pride in and that he, that he doesn't want to be perceived as an issue. So he's definitely, I think, doing what he needs to do early in camp to make sure that those things don't come up and, and, and that, that he kind of sets the example as a leader and as a worker uh, that, that, that really makes that transition as seamless as possible. Yeah, that's really good to hear. I know Wilson Contreras is a winner. And so, you know, I have faith that he's definitely going to come through. And I think all of Cardinals nation should too. You touched a little bit on um, some of those young catchers the Cardinals have. They have a really robust um, catching like, catching group in the farm system, I guess. Um, yeah. I wanted to ask a little bit about Leonardo Bernal. Um, I've heard a lot about him this spring and I've seen him appearing on some lists. Um, and he's a name that started to get me really excited. Has he been down there? And what can you tell me a little bit about him? So he actually just the other day put my eyes on him for the first time because he's part of the step camp group. So the guys who are not invited to major league spring training, but who have the kind of experience that the Cardinals want to have immersed in that kind of as much as possible. Um, so he's part of that group. He's here at the complex. To be honest, I, the thing I've seen him do is carrying his equipment bag from the clubhouse to the backfield. I, that, that's literally it. Right. So I've not really, yeah. uh, I've not, not seen what he's been up to so far, but I, it, he definitely is a guy who is climbing up list. He's definitely a guy who, by the end of this year, I think would expect to see, uh, you know, maybe as a top 10 Cardinals prospect, right, kind of in that group. And I think that's, look, he's 19 and a catcher, and some things take time. And sometimes, you know, Yvonne Herrera at 19 was a super exciting prospect. Yvonne Herrera at 22 is still an exciting prospect, but maybe we're sort of beginning to learn a little bit more about what, I don't know what a ceiling looks like and, and sort of how that development path has gone. Right. And so Bernal is a guy who, you know, is perfectly, I think, acceptable to, to get excited about, especially when you have it, when you have a catcher with that skill set. but there's a lot of who knows, because, you know, when, when camp breaks, I, if, if Bernal goes to Peoria, that's a really big jump for him. Yeah. Uh, and that, you know, there's a lot of learning and a lot of process that takes place between there and getting anywhere close to the big leagues. And then my other question about um, sort of the catching system is where do you expect Jimmy Crooks uh, to break camp? Yeah, I mean, he's in that group of guys who I think uh, you might see, you know, 
Peoria, Palm Beach, maybe it's extended some, some, somewhere in that general vicinity. I actually, I have a Jimmy Crooks story, believe it or not. Uh, yesterday, Jimmy Crooks was, was catching uh, a bullpen for Dalton Roach. They were on the mound kind of closest to us, and so you could sort of see really what was going on with them. And Jose Okendo had been kind of just like lingering around watching the work happen. And Okendo walks down the sidewalk, and they're on the closest mound of the sidewalk. Okendo walks down the sidewalk and walks up and asks Crooks, what number pitch Roach just threw, you know, like how, how many has it been? Uh, and Crooks says, I don't know. He didn't ask me to count. And Okendo says, it's nine, always count in case he asks. And so it was a really cool, just like a really small little lesson, right? Like it's spring training. This guy is throwing a bullpen, count the number of pitches he's thrown, because if he does ask you, you don't want to go, yeah, I don't know. Something like 12, you want to have the answer. Uh, and I, you know, whether, whether Okendo knew that that was a thing that, that Jimmy needed to remind her of, or maybe he just had a suspicion. It was, it was interesting to see him sort of spot it and get on it and correct it, uh, in a big hurry like that. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Uh, we like, we love to see the, the mentorship that the coaches uh, give the players and a little bit of firsthand action. Shout out to our sponsor, Tracy's Karate. Tracy's Karate has been serving the local St. Louis community since 1969, specializing in private lessons for practical and effective self-defense instruction. Private lessons allow Tracy's to teach anyone, focusing on your personal goals and your own learning style. Try out a free half-hour private lesson today. Call 314-821-0555 or visit tracys.com for more details. It's a fantastic opportunity to learn valuable self-defense skills. If you decide to sign up, let them know that the crew at Newt News sent you. And again, the phone number is 314-821-0555, and the website is tracys.com. I had a question about um, player interaction, uh, specifically, like our podcast is called Newt News because um, I don't I don't know if you remember, but at, after the Cardinals clinched the Central, Lars Newbar was going around interviewing all the players, and he's quite... I do. Uh, yeah, I was I was there. I was in that, that clubhouse in Milwaukee. I was there for that, yeah. That's incredible. Uh, do you do you have a specific Lars Newbar story? Because I know he's like a, quite the character. And uh, ooh, uh, I, so I again here's another good one from this camp. Uh, just the other day, we after a workout, we'd gotten into the clubhouse, and you know it's the locker saw it's it's a locker, right? So the, at the top there is one little door, a little cubby door that kind of swings over where you can put your valuables or whatever if you were so inclined. Uh, and Lars kind of goes to his locker and flips the door open. And then you see him kind of look, and then he jumps back eight feet. Uh, and apparently, Lars Newbar, not a big fan of the lizards that live in the bushes down here. They're like little animal lizards that crawl over the ground down here. Uh, and apparently, Miles Michaelis had found one and snatched it up and had left it in the locker for, for Lars to find. And so he came back from the workout, flipped open the door to the locker, and there was a lizard staring at him running around in a little wooden box uh, inside of his locker. So he, you know... For all, for all of the excitement around it, and he actually, it's been a lot of fun watching him interact with a lot of, you know, there's been a lot of Japanese media in camp getting content from him for the World Baseball Classic. There were some Korean reporters earlier in camp uh, doing the same thing for Tommy Edmund. For as busy as he's been doing that, it was fun to watch Miles kind of check him a little bit with just, you know, a little bitty lizard that he left to run around inside the locker. The Lizard King returns. He makes another he, appearance. He knows where to find, and you know what, part of that is I'm sure Growing up living in Florida for his entire life, he's more than familiar with all of the crawling mm. stuff that goes around out here. Absolutely. Yeah, that viral video of Miles Michaelis eating the lizard is just a classic. It's uh it's something. <laughs> I mean, do you have a favorite Miles Michaelis story? He's one of my favorite players, and he just seems like such a character. He seems like an awesome yeah. 
Well, let's see. And see, yeah, I'm on the back end of the. I so I really here's a a, a very fun mile story. With the first year he was with the Cardinals in 2018, uh, he you know he got elected to the All Star game. So his, his wife at the time uh, was was very pregnant. She was very close to having their twins. And Miles got on the plane for my pretty where the Cardinals ended the first half. I got on the plane, flew to Washington, got there, got checked in, got to the hotel, was in the hotel maybe 90 minutes uh, when his phone rang and said, nope, babies are coming time to go. So he had to immediately turn around, grab his bags, run to the airport to get back to Florida uh, where, where his wife was giving birth. So Miles Michaels' first All-Star game, he was at for 90 minutes and did not leave the hotel. Yeah. Yeah, had a couple of uh, interesting all-star all-star uh, appearances um there's that and also he didn't like he didn't get to pitch at all in, in last year's one which i thought was was quite a shame yeah there there was actually uh and, and again there there was a little bitty story from that I, I believe it was i think it was david bednar was the guy uh who was involved in this there had been some discussion about trying to get guys into games you know and and, and i think Generally, the rule with the pitchers of the All-Star game is if, if if it's somebody who's never made an All-Star team, the, the guys on the staff try to preference, let's get those guys in the game with them, you know, let them have their moment. And David Bednar had, I believe, had been warmed up early in the game, but then because whoever was, whoever the pitcher was in the game for the NL was approaching kind of their hard cap. And so Bednar was warming up to come in halfway through an inning in case something needed to get finished. The rule generally also is not to have guys do up and downs so they don't risk injury. So if you get warmed up and you don't come in the game, mostly you're not going to pitch in the game because they want to be very careful to not get guys hurt. But Bednar, who warmed up a little, you know, didn't get all the way hot, but warmed up, didn't go in the game, uh, was not going to be able to pitch. But it was Miles and it was a couple, a couple other guys down in the bullpen who really leaned on the staff or the NL, but get, get this guy in the game. He deserves the pitch. He wants to pitch. It's his first time. Uh, and so whatever chance he might've had, he kind of stepped back from to make sure that somebody else had a chance to pitch in that all-star game. That's awesome. Yeah. Really cool. Um, hang by. Yeah. Um, so on the same topic of, of pitchers and spring training, we were wondering like, um, if Adam Wainwright is looking good at the start of camp and uh, uh, are you, are you thinking that it's going to be his actual final season or do, do you think he has two more in the tank? No, I think he's, I, I, the one thing that about Adam and, and it's sort of coming to the end of the career here that he's been really clear about for a long time was that he didn't want to be a guy who retired more than once. You know, he's talked about kind of how unsatisfying that is for fans and, and, and really just not wanting to be like, didn't want to be Brett Favre, I think was the comparison that he drew. Right. So I, I think that when Adam says he's done, he's done. And I, I definitely, definitely believe that uh, now look, he's going to be done playing. And then is he going to end up broadcasting 40 games next year? Who knows? Maybe that's, maybe that's a lot. Right. But I, I think as soon as he's done, I wouldn't worry too much about Adam Winter being a, too far away from baseball or anybody's TV for, for too long, probably. Yeah. Do you think Wayno's going to have a, a bounce back from, from his uh, little uh, struggles at the end of last season? I know he said something about fixing his stride, uh, which was off in the. Yeah. Summer. I, I think at this point you sort of take him at his word that he was able to identify what the issue was and, and sort of make those adjustments. Um, I, I have, I have no reason to doubt that he is going to be as effective as he's been in recent years. The thing that, that is, it is sort of hard to balance is like 
time does come for people and he's a 40 year old pitcher with a substantial injury history. Right. And so as much as you, as you believe in Adam Wainwright and his skill and his ability to sort of know his body, know his health and, and be that kind of pitcher, those things about him are real. Those are true things about him. And, and so there is a little bit of balance of, okay, you trust it, you believe it until the moment when it goes. And if that happens, it's like, yeah, that probably was about to happen. So it, it, it is going to be, I have every reason to be optimistic, but I also think it is important uh, to maybe be realistic as well. Yeah, um, for sure. Uh, definitely, definitely have hopes for him to, to go out the right way. Um, I, I said that Adam Wainwright would throw a no hitter in our last episode when we were predicting um, the Cardinals 2023 season. I think that would be pretty special. Um, it I would. In him. I, I, It'd be hard to say no, right? I think I think a moment like that uh, in in his last season it would be pretty cool. I don't know. It's, it'd be it would be an interesting uh, placement of a line, I guess, or placement of odds to see if it's more likely that he throws a no hitter or hits a home run in his final season. I hope he gets to take a couple at bats. That'd be awesome. I I would be I would be surprised if he didn't get at least one. I guess is the thing I would say. He's one of the better hitting Cardinal pitchers from recent memory, I would say. Oh, for sure. He did, he did take a, an at-bat as a pinch hitter at one point a few years ago, and that was awesome. I remember seeing that. But um, I think everyone's really excited for Adam Wainwright this year as he approaches 200 career wins. When in the season do you think that'll happen? I know he's at 195 right now. So do you figure before the All-Star break? Well, if, I guess if it's not before the All-Star break, they're probably in trouble, right? If they get to the all-star break and he doesn't have five wins, then either he's been hurt or they've been bad or some combination thereof, probably, Um, you know, let's, well, let's see here. I mean, this would probably also be late in the season, but it would be entertaining for it to happen in London. I guess that's possible, right? That would be, that would be a little late to not have five wins until the third week of June, but that, that could be, could be a fun placement for it. I know the, the number that he really has in mind, 200 is cool, uh, but he's one, he's talked about wanting to catch up to Pop Haynes, who is behind Bob Gibson for a second. I think it's 212 is the number, maybe? 212, yeah. 213, something like that. Uh, and that's that's the number he's mentioned as being one that he's really interested in. So that could be that could be a fun one to watch. And frankly, look, at that's Adam, right? Oh, yeah, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to win 19 games this year. Is is a much different thing than win yeah. five. Mm-hmm. It'd be cool to see another statistical chase like last year where Pujols' quest for 700 had everybody really involved. For sure. Yeah, I know um, this is a little bit of a, a detour, but you were just talking about pitchers, pitchers that hit. Um, so I have, a, I have a question that that I have about a, a different player um, in that regard. Uh, we were talking about how my favorite player wasn't a Cardinal. Uh, my favorite player is actually Shohei Otani. And okay, sure. He's, he's just such a cool player because I before he came up I was always interested in pitchers like hitting home runs I know Bartolo Colon had his iconic home run in San Diego that was uh, one of my favorite moments all time but um I think Shohei Otani would be a perfect fit in a Cardinal uniform and how likely do you think it is I don't think they'll sign him in free agency but how likely do you think it is that the Cardinals hey. interested in, in Shohei Otani at the trade deadline and then a possible extension Man, that's really hard. Uh, I think I think the first place to start is Otani being available at the trade deadline, and you know, yeah. the, the the challenge there is 
if the if if Artie Moreno doesn't want to sell, if he's actually going to step back from that process, then the Angels are definitely not giving up on the season. And if they're not giving up on the season, they are for sure not trading Otani. Uh, even if they are at some point get to the point where they're giving up on the season, that's really hard to figure out. You know, it, it, it's it's tough to see them actually doing that. Uh, and then in terms of the free agency question, like I don't that the Otani free agent deal, assuming that he gets through this year healthy, is going to be is going to be five hundred million. Maybe. I mean, I think if that's, that's entirely reasonable, right? Uh, the car that would be five times the biggest deal the card five and some oh, change yeah. times the biggest deal the Cardinals have ever, have ever given to a free agent. So it would, it would be crazy. Uh, I have a really hard time seeing it in part too, because like a lot of times for players like Otani, there is a desire to sort of seek that spotlight, right. And for all the things the Cardinals have going for them in the history and the respect of the franchise, it's not New York and it's not LA. Uh, and those things do matter to players and, and, and they do matter to them, frankly, also from a financial standpoint, right. And from an access standpoint, and you know, those, those, those are things that are important. I don't, I won't pretend to know what's important to show Otani, but historically those things have been important to players and it, it would be really hard to see the Cardinals being able to kind of match it up on that front. Well, there's, there's two things. The first thing I think is if the Angels struggle as much as they have in past seasons, and there's no reason to believe that they won't again this year because I don't think they sure. made that many, like, that many impactful moves. It would be a huge mistake to let Otani just walk for nothing for a comp pick. Um, I just don't, don't see how that's a smart move in, in any regard. So if they're out of contention by the deadline, I think there's a chance where they, they will ship him. And if we're thinking about like trades in recent memories, uh, the Cardinals have been very aggressive in the trade market. We got Goldie and Arenado, who obviously came here. And we'd have to think that if the Cardinals had landed Juan Soto at last year's trade deadline, they probably would have given him the 400 million plus extension that he wanted. Cause I don't think they would have let those prospects walk for, for nothing. So I don't know. Yeah, I, I will, I will say that the thing with Soto to keep in mind is that at the time that that deal had been considered, they were talking about, uh, you, you, with, with Soto, you were talking about three postseason runs, right? You had had the rest of last year, that playoffs, and then two more full years with him. And look, conceivably, a, a team, including the Padres, still good, could reflip Soto at the end to recoup some of those assets, right? Um, I think to me, the, the interesting comparison is Bryce Harper, who his last year in Washington, when he reached the end, you know, face of the franchise, best player in team history, all that kind of stuff. The, the, the Nats, their baseball ops people did have a deal. They had a deal to trade him to Houston at the deadline that year. And ownership said no. Nats ownership did not want it to happen, you know, because of whatever. Whether it's the message it sends or we're going to still try to sign him or he's a big team, part of the team, whatever. The Nats nixed it because there is a degree of kind of that, that, that relationship between player and team when it's kind of an identity player. Uh, that's really hard for people at that level to let go of sometimes. And Otani would be at that level or beyond that level. Uh, so it would be, I don't know, it's really hard for me to imagine Artie Moreno being the guy who lets that go. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Uh, and maybe that is how it works out. But I would be I would be pretty surprised. Would you say that the face of the Angels is Otani or would it be like more of a Mike Trout type player? Because I know he's also... Um, yeah, I, that, I would be really interested to kind of see how they look at that. My guess would be, honestly, that that Otani is that guy more for them. And part of that is personality, too. Uh, you know, Trout 
it, my 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 the way that I, my interaction with Mike Trout have all been very good and very positive. But he's kind of a kind of a quiet guy, kind of a relaxed, you know, not not that not really out front sort of guy. Whereas Otani is is a global superstar, right? Like spans continents, spans oceans, uh, with kind of the reach he has in baseball. So I I they probably would say Otani if you force them to be honest about it. Mm. Yeah, I kind of lean towards thinking the Angels will not be trading Otani as well. I I look at obviously Harper, like you just mentioned, but also there are other examples in recent memory, like Trevor Story, who didn't get dropped sure. at the deadline, and we all thought he would. Um, and then even last year with the Cubs, they didn't trade Contreras because you know he's kind of the franchise face. And I agree with you. And I I also think Artie Moreno, the way he's run this team in recent years, I think he sees um, all of the benefits that Otani gives him from a marketing standpoint. Um, you know, Otani draws people to the ballpark. People come to sure. watch him. They sell a ton of his jerseys and all of his merchandise. And so I, I agree. I think it'd be really hard for Artie Moreno to let that go. Even though Otani could bring a ton of value back. I also think there's the fact that the angels are going to feel that almost no trade package meets the value that they give Otani because he's just a rental at this point. Cause he's not going to get traded before the deadline. Right. Um, he'll just be a rental and you know, to match up with the kind of value. Cause they'll say, Oh, we're giving out two, you know, super superstar level players in one person. Um, and I don't think anyone's going to pony up to meet that price. Yeah. I, I think that's, I think that's probably the best way to look at it. And could something shocking happen? It certainly could, but man, I would be surprised. Yeah. So sorry, Andrew. I do have the Otani jersey on the wall behind me. It would, it would be nice to get that turned into a Cardinal one one day. But For sure. All right. Um, we're just about out of time here, but we do have a couple of viewer questions um, that we wanted to ask. So the first viewer question that we got was, how do you view the, the Chicago Cubs and um, their ability to contend for the NL Central? I know we've had our discussions here, and I, I know Sandy is really not high on the Cubs at all, but we wanted to get your your input on that. I think that I, I, I view the Cubs the same way, really, you view lottery tickets, right? So you buy, you buy six of them. Uh, and probably you're going to lose like 80% of the money you spent on them. But like one time in 500, you win a thousand bucks or whatever, you know, I don't, however the math works out. I do think that's the Cubs, right? Like the Cubs have a lot of lotto ticket type players, uh, many of whom may not work at all this season. But if all of a sudden Cody Bellinger is an MVP candidate again, then who knows? Uh, you know, are, would, it, would it shock me if the Cubs were a second place team? It would not. Would the Cubs would it shock me if the Cubs were a fourth place team? Not really, to be honest. I, I think I think either of those outcomes is possible. Probably more likely the latter than the former. Uh, but they, if nothing else, they did go out and add veteran players this winter. Who, if some or any of them hit, either they can be uh, a much better team this year, or those are guys you can flip come deadline time for more deadline stuff you can pick up. Yeah, I know they shelled out a lot of money. They spent a little over $310 million this offseason. Um, but the majority of that came on one guy. It all came on Dan's right. response for the most part. When that came out, my initial reaction was that it was a little bit of an overpay. But then I also had to think about the way the market has trended and how I view things as a Cardinals fan where they don't tend to spend a lot of money. So, or at least not a lot of money on one player. I shouldn't say sure. the Cardinals spend money. They run relatively good payrolls. Yeah, but yeah I, I think my reaction was overpay. I, I think the Swanson deal and the Jamison Tyone deal are both are both contracts that yes. you could see the Cubs suddenly having a 
problem with in a hurry. Uh, or, or, I mean, if, you know, look, those players hit kind of their top level projections, then great. And they're going to pay for themselves. Those, those both look a little heavy to me, but in the context of the market, they probably aren't very far off. Yeah. I think the market was just, it was really, really robust this year. There was a ton. Sure. It was kind of inflated. It felt, um, guys like Chris Bassett, Jameson Tyone, who I kind of would have said were maybe two, three years max. We're getting three, four, even five years. Yeah, that, that, you know, part of that is the result of kind of coming out of a, you know, coming out of a lockout and kind of the exuberance of that. And part of it is sort of the return to normalcy after COVID and, and seeing revenues get back to a level that teams are more comfortable with. Mm. Yeah, um, our, our next question, uh, viewer question, is uh, regards to another NL Central rival. So we've gotten a lot of news recently about Corbin Burns and his relationship with the Brewers sort of deteriorating through the arbitration process. Do you think the Cardinals could be in play to sign Corbin Burns long-term after the 2024 season or even via trade? Um, I, I think definitely not via trade. I think that that individual move is, is pretty hard to figure out. When it comes to free agency, you know, the Cardinals are going to have to figure out what's going on with their rotation, right? You know, it's been well documented. The Cardinals have one starter under contract uh, past this. It's, it's Stephen Matz, and then it's Montgomery goes to free agency, and Flaherty goes to free agency, and Michaelis goes to free agency, and Wainwright is retiring. Now, would it, would it shock me to see an extension for Miles Michaelis during spring? It would not. Uh, I would expect it to come after the WBC. But if, it, if, if that happens, I would, I would not be surprised even a little bit. But even still, you know, there are going to be some chairs to fill. And can they pursue Montgomery and Flaherty on parallel tracks and see if they can get interest? They can, for sure. Uh, but, yeah, I, I could conceivably see them being in a spot where knowing what they need to add in free agency, that Corbin Burns is a guy that makes sense for them. It's just going to require them taking that leap financially that they haven't yet been willing to do in the pitching market, but they probably are going to have to do on somebody sooner or later. Yeah. I wanted to hit on a bit of what you said about um, the pitching situation here. It definitely has been well-documented. Like you said, we only have one pitcher on the books past this year. And I believe um, I saw it on Twitter. I think it was you that broke the news that Zach Thompson is going to be treated primarily as a reliever this spring. He's only going to be working out of the bullpen. Um, so that yes. might be another one who probably isn't going to have a spot in the rotation moving forward. I mean, they could always convert him back, but the longer you spend in the bullpen, the harder it is to move back into a starter's role. It is. And, and historically with guys like Thompson, you know, we we've seen them, they do this with Helsley, with Palante to an extent, yeah. once they make the move one direction, it's not as often that they move them back the other way. Do you think Palante has a chance though, to move back into a starter's role? He, he really impressed me last year. He definitely could. I think that's a guy who they look at as, as sort of flexible in a way where, you know, that that's someone where could I see him coming into camp next year as part of the competition for a starter's job? For sure. I, I think I think he could definitely bring himself into that conversation. And depending on this, how this year goes, might he even start games this year? Yeah, it's not inconceivable. I could definitely see that happening. Um, in particular, because they like the way that his stuff plays against lefties. And so if you can sort of eliminate uh, kind of the risks of that really big split, then that yeah. makes him, um, you know, much more desirable for that kind of spot. Hmm. Nice. Right. I think we're going to get into our, our final question here from, from our viewer. So um, do you think that the Cardinals like payroll not going up as much as like most Cardinal fans had hoped might be due to the fact 
um, that there's a new there's a new soccer team in town with um, City SC potentially uh, drawing some of the fans away. Um, is City SC viewed as a competitor in the sports market, or do the Cardinals view them as like a potential collaborator? Yeah, I think much closer to a partner. I, I don't I don't think the Cardinals have much concern uh, about City and you know the way that they might may or may not cannibalize their business. I think. I think if I were the Blues, I would be maybe a little more concerned about that, just in terms of relative popularity, impact in the market, you know, dollar in, dollar out, that kind of stuff. Um, but no, I don't, I don't think, I don't think the Cardinals view that as any particular concern. In fact, I think honestly, uh, the Cardinals are are glad to have another kind of downtown anchor uh, that maybe makes the city a little more appealing for visitors and whatever else. I, I, I think that they are really, uh, I think they're, they're behind kind of how that might work out, and I think you'll definitely see some support. Uh, there, I, I know that there were uh, there were some. I guess City released their their what was the road kit the other day. Uh, the white the white jersey for the soccer team, and there had been a couple of those floating around the clubhouse for a couple of days uh, for guys to take photos with. You know, and I think the Cardinals on social media had a photo of maybe Gio Gallegos and, and Jojo Romero and a couple of guys holding up, or maybe even wearing uh, the SPLSC jersey. So I think you're definitely going to see some collaboration there, much more than competition. I'm super excited about the new soccer team. And something that also returned this year is the XFL, the Battle Hawks. Yes. I told myself I wasn't going to ask a question about it, but will you be watching the Battle Hawks today? I'm so pumped. So they're playing, they're playing right now. I think they're playing like right now as we're doing yeah. this. Uh, I do, I, I will watch some, at least some Battle Hawks because I do uh, have plans to write a story. Uh, Brian Hill, the running back for the Battle Hawks, yeah. is a proud alum of Belleville West High School, as am I. Went to my high school, Brian Hill. Yes. So uh, a fun, a fun little story for us to kind of dig into and just kind of return back to St. Louis. So I will, I will at least be at the dome, I think, for the Battle Hawk opener uh, to get that story nice. knocked out. So I'll be there to enjoy the cacaws from everyone else. I guess it's going to be awesome. I cannot wait. <laughs> It'll be a good time for sure. All right. Thanks so much for coming on the pod, Jeff. It's been been great. Lots of great conversations. Um, yeah, we really appreciate it. So anytime, guys. Thank you so much. I'm happy to do it. And now I'm gonna go grab my chicken finger sub and deal with the rest of the sunburn. So we'll get back after it for you guys. Awesome. Thank you so much. It was great talking to you. Yeah. Thanks, thanks. guys. Have, have a good one. All right. Thanks everybody for tuning in for our chat with Jeff Jones. Be sure to follow him on Twitter at JM Jones. He's got tons of exclusive baseball news. He's always breaking stuff that you can't get anywhere else. Again, we want to thank our sponsor, Tracy Scarati, and then be sure to follow us on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel at Newton News Pod. You can also hear us anywhere you get your podcasts. Comment and like, and if you have any more questions for future interviews, please leave them below. We'll be sure to ask them. Thanks again, everybody. Have a great day.